Hey everyone, it's David from the Geek Garage Podcast. I just wanted to take a quick second to tell you about our new partnership with Everyday Superhero Training. They are a gym in Nashville, Tennessee that you should definitely check out. The gym is ran by Julian and Lydia who make up the Everyday Superhero Training team. And what Everyday Superhero Training is, is a nerd-centric, holistic, personal training and group fitness wellness program taught through the modalities of RPGs, video games, comic books, superheroes, and pop culture nerdiness. Just a few things that they have to offer is a free digital magazine that covers everything that they nerd out about and it is delivered straight to your email inbox. They have a soon-to-be-famous Mission Quest Fitness RPG, Nerd Skills, which is a class that uses specific training tactics to help you improve at activities you already enjoy, superhero tinted group classes, personal training integrated into every level of membership, a supportive and positive environment that wants to hear more about your current D&D campaign or show that you're currently binging, and then how much you can binge. So please support Julian and Lydia by visiting EverydaySuperheroTraining.com for more info on this amazing gym. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome into this episode of the Geek Garage Podcast. I am your host, of course, David Dassaw, and with me today is a good friend, a previous guest, and I am so glad that he actually um, had the courage to come back. <laughs> after, uh, I, I, it turns out I didn't scare him away no, um, for, no, no. for the, uh, the first episode, um, Chase Hartsick from the Video Game Collectors episode. Hey, Chase. Good to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Yes. No, thank you uh, once again for, for coming. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, I love it, man. Um, like I said, uh, just people love the video game episodes. I unfortunately don't get to do them enough, but fortunately, you know, you live so closely <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit easier for you to come than yeah. a lot of other guests. So it makes it a little bit easier to do more video game episodes. Sure. Yeah, no. I mean, anything that gives me an excuse to just ramble on about video games. Right. I am all on board, man. Right. Who, who wouldn't want to ramble about video games? Oh my gosh. Obviously, it is my okay. my bread and butter. Right. Yeah, we we just spent, you know, a, a few <laughs> minutes going through your goodie bag of of uh, of games and toys and everything and uh, I'll be posting pictures on Instagram. I mean, they'll probably be available. Uh uh, uh, but by the time this recording hits, um, so yeah. The, uh, but he's he's got like little figurines and uh, NES games <laughs> and SNES games and sixty four cartridges. Uh, wow, well, they're all cartridges. Yep. But uh, and he brought his like classic Game Boy that he just somehow yes. wound up yes. with magic. I, I think it's black magic. <laughs> like he told me that like some like one of his you know friends from what was it Media Rerun? Media Rerun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm just convinced it was black magic that. He, he just got it like and the box is like perfect condition yeah a complete inbox and everything right even um, the little earbuds yeah um but i i guess we should introduce the episode right <laughs> we we've been talking and uh we we haven't really talked about what the uh, the episode title is or the the, sure. the subject so we are talking about the legacy of mario colon 
Super Mario Brothers. Exactly. Um, Very important. <laughs> yes, there is a lot to unpack in the realm of Mario right. and Luigi and right. and his friends, his family, mm-hmm. his loved ones. But uh, for the sake of um, not recording for like six plus hours, yeah. Oh which, yeah. I mean, it, that would have to be which if we wanted to could totally do right. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right uh, for everyone else's sanity and ours, exactly. Uh, we are we're sticking to the the Super Mario Brothers right. um, umbrella of right. uh, of games. So that that's actually you know a pretty good segue into um, doing a, a, a few upfront disclaimers and clarifications on what you can expect as far as content goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, it's it's everything under the Super Mario Brothers umbrella. Right. Uh, Basically all of his platformers. Yes. Essentially is right. what that translates to. Platformer, yeah. A platformer essentially being for those with who are uh, uninitiated or at least don't know like some of the like gamer lingo. Right. I guess uh, a platformer is a game that is primarily focused on mechanics of simply running and jumping um jumping being the main uh bullet point right there right Um, that's essentially why it's called a platformer because you're jumping from platform to platform yep um so yeah that's disclaimer when we say platformers that's essentially what the super mario franchise is is all of his platforming endeavors and that is 2d and 3d but we'll get to it right yeah and and it definitely so it uh that that's pretty much what it includes what it excludes is um spinoffs like uh, like Mario Kart, uh, Smash. Yeah. Um, it was the RPGs. It was so uh, funny because I remember when you initially brought up the episode and you're like, "Let's do an episode on Mario," and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Right. And then you thought about it for a second. And you're like, "And I wait." And then like steam started coming from your ears, and I thought your head was gonna explode because you're like, "There's just so many different directions." Oh my gosh! I got home and realized that, and I was like, "We will be there." forever <laughs> right because no mario's legacy and if you just consider his entire canon is on i mean he's a guinness book world records holder for most appeared video game character he's right. been in more gear so i mean you know you say mario and you know you obviously have super mario but yeah you also have mario kart mario party mario paint he, you have the sports ga- games right you know, mario strikers and baseball yep. um his puzzle games you know dr mario <laughs> Um, and the RPG series, you know, you have the Paper Mario games, which are absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mario and Luigi series, um, as well as his the the first Mario RPG, Legend of Seven Stars, which is unfreaking believably good. Yeah, unbelievable good. Like we're it's just Final Fantasy basically, but with like Mario characters and in the Mushroom right. universe, like Kingdom. Oh my gosh! And I love it. Even made by Square, the the creators of Final yeah. Fantasy. Oh my gosh! Turn based Mario. You, it doesn't sound like it should work. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh! But it works. Yeah. Way too well. So yeah, when when the episode came up, I remember you texted me like, "Hey, do you think we should maybe split the episode up?" I was like, <laughs> "I'll just explain at work tomorrow," because <laughs> there's so much to unpack. There. Right. So yeah, yeah. But I think we I think we've broken it down in a pretty pretty digestible way yeah i want to think we did i i'm trying to think back to a time where i put this much time and effort (laughs) and planning into a single episode and i don't want to come off as someone that like doesn't plan out the episodes Uh, i mean there's been there's been ones where you know we kind of do spur of the moment but typically i do a little bit of research uh this one however like 
you know, my co-host Ted for a lot of the other episodes. He like just straight up told me the other day, he was like, dude, how fucking long have you been planning this episode? And I was just like, it seems like forever, but you know, there's just a lot that went into it, you know, like narrowing it down to what we were going to talk about was, was a big piece, just like you said. Right, right, right. Um, But kind of once we figured out that we were doing Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. I feel like a lot of stuff fell into place. It really did in pretty well. And that's like the core. When you think of Mario, I mean, that's what you, you know, automatically right. think of is, right. you know, his platformers. That's what he's he's more known for than others. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the most unanimously, like, uh, well-known of Mario's endeavors. I mean, everyone right. knows Mario Kart, of course, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, if if, like I said, if we just did Mario on the title, we'd be here all night. Oh, yeah. So, um, no, I think we definitely... Uh, made the right choice, right? Uh, definitely, just sticking with Super Mario because I mean that does encompass basically all that makes Mario what you know what he is. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, for no, definitely. Cool. Um, a, a few last things. Uh, so we will be going uh, in chronological order. Uh, the as far as the episode structure goes, we're um, instead of kind of like bouncing around from from game to game or, or mm-hmm. uh, just kind of talking about certain things, like we thought it would be kind of cool to just go through them game by game mm-hmm. and it, because that's it's a cool like history lesson and also yeah. like um, just viewing the game and how uh, like Super Mario Brothers evolves over time. Absolutely. Uh, so we thought that would make for a pretty cool format. Yeah. Um, and That's... so we will be going like by chronological order yeah. as far as uh, U.S. release dates, right. basically. Uh, I mean, you could consider like Japan kind of as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Uh, but they, uh, it, it seemed like historically mm-hmm. they released a little bit earlier than, right. than they, U.S. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, regardless of console, we'll mm. be we'll be going through uh, all the Super Mario games chronologically as they were right. released. Right. So in the U.S., um, I think I think that pretty much covers it. Aside from just a, a note that uh, this will be part one of our two part series. So mm-hmm. Chase will come back in a couple weeks and we'll record part two. Mm-hmm. Um, Chase, do you want to talk about uh, how we're kind of structuring yeah, part sure. one? Yeah. So basically the first episode tonight is going to focus on uh, Mario's debut all the way up to the turn of the century, all the way up to the 2000s. So basically that encompasses his debut in the original arcade Donkey Kong. And of course we'll get into all of this in much deeper detail. Right. Um, and then uh, eventually getting up to uh, Super Mario 64, which will be our bookend tonight. Yep. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll bookmark there. And then, yeah, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and start at the turn of the century, which I believe starts with Super Mario Sunshine, if I remember correctly. Um, and then all the way up through. Let uh, me. Con- yeah. Let me. Let me go to the notes, please, <laughs> and thank you. Uh, except I lost. Uh, pretty sure after 64, I think was Sunshine. Uh, after Super Mario 64, it looked like Super Mario Brothers Deluxe um, was the next one up uh, in 1999 for the Game Boy Color. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, excluding the uh, the handheld like sure. re-releases. I think like the right. next like core like console. Right. Yeah. Game. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Um. I think I think that's pretty much it for. For our notes, uh, sure. uh, I, I mean, uh, there was a couple terms that I kind of made note of that I, I don't know, I, I kind of made an educated guess as to what they were, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was pretty much correct, but sure. it kind of led me to think that, like, maybe we should go over a few of these terms, um, sure. so, like, launch title, mm-hmm. um, which is the... 
now that I think about it, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, it, it's the, the the game that launches with the console, basically, right? right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then platform game or platformer, you kind of explained that a few mm-hmm. minutes ago. Right. Um, and then port, uh, I mean, from my understanding, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday at mm-hmm. work, uh, is basically just a, a game that was brought to a newer console that Correct. was released on a previous console. Right, um, and port can be somewhat loose. Um, some people sure. also do like remasters and right. remakes and stuff like that. But it all kind of—it's basically uh, when a developer takes um, one of their older properties and sort of brings it to a new console, usually making it somewhat fresh and more approachable. Um, and in our cases, that's what all of these were. All of the Mario ports that we'll be talking about. Uh, right. Most in most cases is when they brought them to the handhelds, specifically the Game Boys. Right. Um, uh, but of course, kind of updating the graphics a little bit um, and and adding a couple of new features here and there, some more so than others. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. That's cool. Definitely good to know. All right. Well, you ready to dive right into it? All right. <laughs> cool. Let's do it. Awesome. So uh, basically, it it all it seemed like Mario kind of started. It, it rose like a phoenix from the ashes. Yes. Of what uh, of a video game historical events that I didn't really know existed. It mm-hmm. totally makes sense, yep. but I didn't know it existed. And it was, it has many terms, I believe, but it's kind of just commonly referred to as the video game crash of 1983. Exactly. So basically all that, all that to say, if, if Mario hadn't come along when he did, there was, you know, there's a good chance the video game industry as we know, it would have never even happened, which is crazy to think about. Exactly. Honestly. Um, so, you know, the original home console was the Atari 2600. Mm -hmm. That was the first one basically that did in the way that we know it, where you go out and buy individual games, cartridges for it. it. the Atari 2600 was the first to do that. So, yeah, Atari the Atari 2600 came along and it was a huge success. I think it launched in 1977, I believe. Yeah. Um, yes. So... I, that's just fresh in my mind. So right. I, I typically don't know that info, but be, <laughs> like I said, I did a lot of research and sure. uh, a lot of the stuff on the crash was yesterday. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the 2600 launched in 77 and it was a, it was a, it was a big success and... Um, but you also have to realize this was the first video game console. Mm-hmm. So, you know, terms like game design, what makes a good game good, what makes a bad game bad, th- you know, they were basically starting from scratch. Right. They had no foundation mm-hmm. on this industry. This was a completely, a totally fledgling industry. Right. So They um, were just breaking all new grounds exactly. across the board. Exactly. Um, you know, around this time, of course, arcade cabinets were successful sure. in like, you know, arcade you know, arcades and stuff like that yeah. and pizza joints and stuff like that those were fairly common and they were very successful as well um but as far as like bringing that into the home uh yeah atari was the first was the first to seize on that so it launched in 77 and it was it was it was very successful the only thing is though with it being such a new industry like i said they had no real way of knowing what they were doing it was all kind of shots in the dark in terms uh shots in the dark in terms of 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 game quality right so they were very experimental and they were trying different things and stuff. But another th- another caveat to that was that this is you also have to keep in mind 1977. This is long before the internet, um, right? And yeah. since this is a new industry, this is even before you know video game magazines and video game publications. Mm-hmm. All to say, you you know 
people who had a 2600, people who were buying games, had no way of knowing what they were buying mm-hmm. when they went out to buy games for it. Right. You basically went to the, the store and you had this beautiful cover art because that was one thing that Atari 2600 games were like super awesome about. Yeah. It was like this just beautiful cover, like hand-painted cover art that always looked so freaking cool. Right. Um, and then you turned it over and you had like this cool blurb on the back that told you like... Mm-hmm. You know who you were, what you were doing, um, but that's literally all you had. So you, yeah, you know you had the box. There was no publications. There was no internet. Right. There was no E3 with all these right. awesome trailers of uh, you know official gameplay through the game and exactly. and just like professionally <laughs> built and cut uh, trailers for right for the, you know the game itself. You just had to hope and pray yep. that when you made this big purchase that it was going to turn out okay. And yep. if it didn't, then uh, hope that the retailer had an okay return policy. Right, exactly. <laughs> basically, that you know, it, it basically just meant that uh, the quality of these games was a minefield. Mm-hmm. And you had no idea what you were getting. Um, so a lot of kids would get lucky sometimes and you'd come home with a pretty decent game. But, you know, a lot of the thing too, you know, like I said, you had this beautiful cover art and you had these awesome, uh, blurbs on the back that were like setting you up to this like expansive space exploration thing. And then of course we all know what, you know, if, if you've ever seen 2600 games, it's a couple of blips, right? Right. This is before graphics was a thing. These terms just weren't a thing yet. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, kid was let down. Um, and, and, and at a lot, in a lot of cases, not at the expense of Atari, they weren't trying to make bad games. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not even necessarily, that wasn't even really the case necessarily. It was just that they just didn't know what they were doing. There was no precedent to this industry. Right. So essentially what it meant was for years and years and years, it drove these like up and coming gamers. If that, if you could have even called them that at the time, (laughs) um, it was driving them crazy because no one really knew what they were ever getting their hands on. Um, and, and oftentimes, um, kids were disappointed and it got progressively worse and worse. And and until you got to the early eighties, um, you started creeping up on the crash and basically there were, uh, two major games that really, that a lot of game historians kind of point to. Right. Um, so Pac-Man was a huge success. Um, everyone knew Pac-Man, everyone loved Pac-Man, and kids would flood to any store or arcade that had that cabinet. Yep. It was an extremely huge success. So when Atari announced that they were bringing Pac-Man to the home, mm-hmm. obviously it, it was met with a huge amount of hype. A lot of kids were excited about this, only to get their hands on it, and it is still regarded as one of the worst ports. Right. Um, that has ever been released. Um, you know, Pac-Man barely looked like Pac-Man. I even want to say instead of eating the dots, they were like these little flat dashes and stuff. It was all monochrome and blue and just, mm-hmm. it was just a mess. Right. Um, so that right there really hit a lot of kids the wrong way. Sure. Um, jump ahead, I want to say to 82, um, you come to the year that uh, Steven Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial mm-hmm. releases. One of my favorite childhood films. As was many at the time, exactly. Yeah. Um, insanely successful film. Kids loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big marketing campaigns that went along with the film was, of course, the, the Atari 2600 game. Right. Um, and there was this huge PR campaign that went along with it. Um, and so obviously this was another game that kids were absolutely bouncing off the walls and couldn't wait to get their hands on, mm-hmm. um, only to again, get their hands on the cartridge and it, it's still <laughs> regarded as one of the worst video games 
ever made. Right. Um, it is a gargantuan mess of a game. It has. It just. It doesn't make sense. It just. There's so. I could go. <laughs> I could go into detail, but all you really need to know is E.T. and Pac-Man were really bad games. They were the final two nails in the coffin, basically. Um, and uh, you know, the Atari wasn't the the sole proprietor of the crash. Like they, sure. you know, they didn't single handedly take them down. While they did have a, a big hand in it, big time. Um, it, it definitely like. They started, you know, this this awesome video game mm-hmm. revolution that no one saw coming, that right. no one really knew that we needed. Right. But then things kind of like f- the road forked right. in in, uh, in the the video game world, both you know physically and metaphorically. Like um, there there was this huge saturation yeah. in in the video game world right. where all of a sudden like third-party uh, uh, game developers were a thing, whereas mm-hmm. it wasn't a thing before then. Right. So all of a sudden, like people were jumping on the hype train of video games. And right. so you had all these inexperienced inexperience, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, gamers, uh, game developers uh, coming out of the woodwork, uh, getting hired by... Um, you know, these big companies that want to get in on yeah. this, you know, cash cow mm-hmm. and, um, and developed all these garbage games that mm-hmm. no one liked and they filled up, uh, retail stores and yep. they couldn't get rid of them. Right. Um, and then there was the, uh, um, the issue of like PC competition where all of a yeah. sudden they were coming out and that like, was big too. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, PCs, uh, like they weren't cheap, like they were pretty mm-hmm. expensive in comparison right. to, um, to the Atari. Uh, however, PCs uh, apparently had their own, like, um, I think it was like maybe IBM and someone else. I, I can't remember. Mm. Uh, but the, uh, one of the price wars where, you yeah. know, like, oh, I bet I can go lower. No, I can go lower. Right. And then all of a sudden, like, PCs were as affordable as Ataris. Right. And and so then you had the problem of um you know, people can go out and buy a PC instead of an Atari at the sure. same price. Right. And PCs had uh, better memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had uh, better graphics and definitely. Uh, sounds, uh, um, sound oh, design. Definitely. So yeah. um, there was there was competition from PCs. Right. And it was just a culmination of all these different things that kind of led to this this big crash. And like you said, the the whole ET game and uh, and Pac Man yeah. port were. Or kind of like the final two nails in the coffin. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's it's pretty easy if you ever look at Atari's sales. It's pretty easy to look at e- the moment ET drops, and then you know you see the sales <laughs> after that. I mean, it's really all. It is pretty easy to kind of point at that as the final nail in the coffin. Right. I mean, there were literally there were news uh, 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 news stations who would go to uh, landfills and find just mounds of Atari cartridges. Right, yeah. In I, landfills. Yes, I, I made note of the, I, I forget, I don't know if the landfill had a name, but it was like infamous for a very long period of time. Yeah. Uh, people didn't know if it existed or not. It was just kind of like, you know, is this real or whatever? Uh, uh, weird, mm-hmm. you know, fugazi. But, you know, they it ended up actually being a big landfill in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what part of New Mexico, but um, right. yeah, they apparently... I think there's a documentary about it. I, I, I believe so. I, yeah. I meant to go uh, try and find the the name of it, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try and see if I can find it afterwards. Um, but um, yeah, the backlash was just absolutely horrible to this whole this whole, and it literally it did lead to the what we now call the video game crash of 1983, yeah. uh, where basically Atari, you know, they built this home console industry basically almost by themselves at the time. There were a couple of other competitors that were sort of trying to get in on it. 
Uh, but for the most part, Atari was really the only big name out there. Right. Um, and in, in, in one fell swoop, they almost, you know, they basically destroyed it for themselves at the same time. Right. Um, so 83 happens, and, you know, most of your business analysts at the time basically um, were were easy, were quick to say that, vi- that video games were a passing fad. Yeah, they were just... Yeah. Um, basically, the that generation's hula hoop. It came, yeah. and it went, and right. it was this big fad. It and had its day. And Goodbye. it was done. Yeah. Right. Um, and all signs definitely pointed to that being the case. Um, however, right. there was this little company yes. in Japan mm-hmm. uh, called Nintendo, which um, up to that point had been, uh, it'd been around for a long time. Nintendo is a very right. old company. Um, but up to that point, they had been known for uh, just being a toy company. Yeah, you were telling me about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea mm-hmm. uh, that they they were around before they were making video games. Oh, I, for a long time. I mean, it, it totally makes sense, mm-hmm. but it's just something I never really considered. Right. Um, but as just another toy company, of course, they started sort of looking at maybe their next step as a business Um, and so I, I don't know who exactly at Nintendo took note of this, but saw the situation of the video game industry, if you would even call it that at that point, Mm -hmm. um, especially in America and decided to have a, have one kind of last go at it. Sure. Um, and Nintendo has always been known for like their marketing. Exactly. Like they are the kings of marketing. And we'll get to that big time. Yeah. Definitely. Because, uh, I mean, they definitely had, like you said, they had uh, a, a big challenge in front of them. Yes. Like retail stores, they did not want to carry mm-hmm. uh, video game consoles. So they, they you know, uh, the name of the game was just figuring out how mm-hmm. to market, um, yeah. you know, this, their their intro console yeah. to, to American audiences. Exactly. Yeah, so um, Nintendo kind of takes a leap of faith for mm-hmm. sure and decides to go through with this. Um, so this is around, I want to say, 85. Mm-hmm. Actually, that, yeah, it has to be 85. Um, so at this point, um, uh, this is when we definitely sort of start the, the story of uh, Mario as we know him. But before we can get to him being Mario, we actually have to back up just a little bit. Right. Um, so you actually have to back up to 1981, where the game industry is still going strong and, and all that good stuff. Um, there's definitely starting to show some problems, uh, but, uh, Nintendo brings on, you know, before they got into the home console market, they, they were starting to dabble in cabinets. Yep. Um, so they hire this artist named Shigeru Miyamoto and say, we want you to make, um, you know, uh, an extremely successful arcade cabinet. They wanted to compete mm-hmm. up to that point. They, they tried a few, but they just didn't really take off the way they wanted them to. Sure. So Shigeru Miyamoto decides he wants to do sort of like an old-fashioned, somewhat story-driven game. Um, and so he makes the bad guy this giant ape that, mm-hmm. he, that he kind of modeled after King Kong. Um, and then he nicknamed him Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then decided he actually wanted to have a hero who was sort of an everyman character. He didn't right. want to have like a superhero or whatever. He wanted sure. to have an average Joe. Um so he decided to go with one of the most simple jobs like that we know, which is a plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, and so initially, um, I want to say they actually started out calling him Mr. Video. 
I believe, was when they first started developing the game. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that was like an early idea that they had, and um, it, it, it got kinda, scrapped yeah, somewhere Yeah, it was along. left on the cutting room floor, right, basically. Right, right. Yeah, it, it was never in right. any, like, writing uh, in an official capacity. Right, exactly. Um, and so eventually um, it was settled on Jumpman. Right. Which sounds kind of silly, but here's the crazy thing. Donkey Kong was the first game that ever featured the, the the jumping mechanic. That mm-hmm. was the first game that you could ever jump in. Which is crazy. Yes. So, of course, they called him Jumpman because that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, it was literally the first platformer um, in video game history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, this all culminated and now what we all know and love is the original Donkey Kong arcade game. Right. Um, three levels, uh, four if you play the sort of like expanded one with like the Pie Factory level. Sure. Um, but the classic Donkey Kong is three simple stages. You got the classic tower stage, um, you got the second stage with like the elevators, um, and then you have the famous um, uh, uh, like boss battle where yeah. you actually have to take Donkey Kong down where you have to run over these like bolts or whatever up the tower right. until you run over each one of them and then Donkey Kong falls. Um, and it was a gargantuan success. Yeah. Um, it was a huge, huge success. And so Donkey Kong it, like just took off like wildfire. Um, they followed Donkey Kong up actually with a lesser known arcade game uh, that was literally called Mario Brothers. Uh, or Mario Bros. Um, depending on if some people say Bros, some people say Brothers. It's it's. I mean, it's an, it's abbreviated right. pretty much everywhere. <laughs> right. So exactly. I mean, it's it's tomato tomato. Exactly. Really. Exactly. Um, and so Mario Brothers was a um, was a, was a, a also a, it was a successful cabinet for sure. Um, not quite as successful as Donkey Kong. Um, but Mario Bros. What's important about that one, obviously, is it's in the name. So Jumpman was a big deal because they called him that because of that mechanic Mm -hmm. because that was such a big deal right now that had been established by this point and they wanted and again they want and you know uh, Miyamoto wanted to sort of establish this character even more as sort of an everyman someone that you know kids could relate to oh I could be this guy right um but he was just called Jumpman um and so they looked for a name for this character and uh actually it was they found this the, the name Mario came from their landlord of their of the Nintendo's headquarters. Really? Yeah, his name was Mario. Um, he came to the headquarters demanding rent, saying, hey, I need rent. And someone at the office was like, let's call him Mario. <laughs> so yeah, nin- ninten- yeah, Mario comes from uh, Nintendo's landlord. Is uh, is Mar- uh, what Was he also <laughs> Italian? I mean, like, I'm curious I if Mario so. is, a, uh, is a popular name in Japan. I um, can't imagine. I mean, at the time. I think it was Mario Segale. Mario Segal. Definitely uh, sounds Italian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It, it all suddenly makes a lot of sense. Yep. So that's, that's where Mario comes from. So, you know, you have this everyday name with this everyday guy. And, you know, that's what they were trying to push. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to push the plumbing thing even further. So the Mario Bros. game. And, of course, bros means plural, which means right. that you brought in the brother. Mm-hmm. So this is also the introduction of Luigi, which right. everyone knows is the awesome, like, green, kind of clumsy um, brother to Mario. Sure. Um, scared of everything. Yeah. Luigi is a treasure. Um and so, yeah, that was a super successful um, cabinet for uh, Nintendo as well. You had the original Mario Brothers uh, cabinet, which was basically they ran with the plumbing aspect big. It, you were in this underground place and you had uh, uh, all these different creatures that were sort of coming out of these pipes and stuff. And you had to flip them over and kick them over, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it was a huge success. 
So yeah, so 85 rolls around and Nintendo decides they, they want to take a stab at the home console market and see if there's anything left there to salvage. So they bring Miyamoto in after looking at Donkey Kong and Mario Bros and mm-hmm. say, okay, you know, run with this. You know, Mario at that point was already a pre- pretty recognizable character in a, both America and Japan. Sure. Um, from Donkey Kong and from Mario Bros. So that was an obvious starting place, you know, for them to start and say, you know, we're going to bring Mario home. Yeah, it's kind of like their foot in the door. Right. Like, exactly. I mean, we're not marketing this. 100% alien console right. to you with with games right. that that you're not sure about that you know how they work and what they look like uh, until you get them home like at least you're kind of going in with a little bit of knowledge of right. you know what you got exactly. in in your arcade exactly right so um and that's exactly what Miyamoto set out to do so mm-hmm. he starts on uh what we now know as the original Super Mario Brothers yes um which is still still hailed as one of the greatest video games ever made and I can't disagree and oh my gosh I agree 100 percent yeah um because this is a game that literally so much of the foundation of our entire medium is built on mm-hmm. um everything from just game design to music implementation to challenge factor I mean it is absolutely staggering how like influential this one game right. was to everything that came after it um you know it, it, it's all kind of legend at this point um especially like amongst the community yeah i mean it's sort of a holy grail moment you know and and literally that's what started it for me i you know i uh, if you've heard the the collecting episode yeah um you know I, i've been in this thing for like three years like i guess you know uh I don't want to say professionally, but like as like a devoted hobby, right? You know, with the actual idea of collecting video games, it's been about a three-year run. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got going, though, I never played a Mario game ever. I was I was a Sony kid. I played. I had PlayStations growing up, so I never got to experience Mario growing up. So I call myself a collector, and I've never played a Mario game, Mm -hmm. which just at the time seemed really hypocritical, and it just didn't make any sense. Sure, you know, I felt like that was just one of those things I needed to have under my belt. So um, I got my Retron 5 and um, ordered um, the, the, the original Mario Bros. NES cartridge. Um, and so I, I'll never forget that day. I got it in the mail and opened it up. And it just, even the cartridge itself, just holding the cartridge, is just like you feel like you're holding like right. this piece very, of history. Yeah, you very know? surreal moment. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like when we, uh, before we started recording mm-hmm. and you handed me the, the Game Boy <laughs> and like, uh, I, that that wasn't the first time you opened it, was it? <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, right, yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, you, we were going through it and just like looking at yeah. all the nostalgia. Yeah. Like it was yeah, just yeah. all all of it was just there. Exactly. Like, we were you know taking all the the, the pamphlets and yep. the the booklets out and stuff mm-hmm. and like unfolding it because there's you know like a, a full unfolding poster. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like reeks of beautiful nineties mm-hmm. nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic so i got that cartridge and i literally i put it in the i put it in my system just to make sure it worked you know Mm -hmm. and just to test it right which you know can be hit or miss with as we talked about in the collecting episode can be hit or miss Mm -hmm. i put it in the console just to test it make sure it boots up and i completely lost the rest of my day i literally just from the moment that like classic and you know that one dash one level and i was just i was synced in and i couldn't i literally beat it in one sitting um, so it literally, even a game from 1985 to have, to still be that like magnetic right? and to still hold up 
that well. Yeah. I mean, is just that's astonishing that a game is so you know, and it's a testament to its craft. It's that well made. Absolutely. And um uh and so anyway. Um, and that's that was pretty much the experience for obviously every kid back in 1985. You put this cartridge in your system, and no one had ever played a game like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the Mario, the original Mario game, was basically designed almost mathematically. I mean, down to every block and enemy placement. Everything is where it is down to like a calculated precision right. basis. Nothing is random um, because. That was something that Miyamoto was obsessed with, was mm-hmm. this precision that he wanted, you know, players to have. And and so every level, every jump, every gap, it was all measured. It was all just almost like scientific, literally. Um, and so it, it is some of the most brilliant game design to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, to, to this day, if you take, you know, if you actually study game design... Um, you know, as as a profession in college and stuff, because it is a, it's obviously something that you can study now. Yeah. Um, that is one of the uh, like fundamental um games, specifically level one one, right? Right. That's one of the levels that to this day that professors will still like break down and analyze that level. Right. For good reason. Uh, yes, because it's unbelievable. Because this was you know this was a time before you know again. You know, you had the the Atari Twenty Six Hundred behind it, but you still there was still no rules. People still there was there wasn't much precedent there as to what made a good game and what made a bad game. Right. So they were still basically kind of figuring it out as they went. Sure. So, anyway, all's to say, you know, basically this game is it was a massive uh, turning point for the video game industry. This was the moment where the video game industry kind of lit on fire. Mm-hmm. So literally, and so it's not an understatement, seriously, to say that Mario is very responsible for right. you know the foundation of our medium. So yeah, but go, you know, like I said, talking about one one, you know. There was no tutorials. There was, I mean, you had the booklet, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Oh my gosh, retro game booklets are the coolest thing in the world. Um, if you ever get a chance to flip through one, yeah. But most kids didn't freaking read them. You put the cartridge in, you can turn the system on, right? But that first level literally taught you everything you needed to know, absolutely, without a single blurb of text, without stopping anything. You you st- you boot the game up, and a Goomba walks up to you. Um, most kids ran right into it because they didn't know any better. Right. So that taught you, okay, that's yep. an enemy. I mm-hmm. can't touch that. Yeah. Without telling you anything, um, you, you see a couple of blocks. You hit a block and a mushroom comes out. Mm-hmm. The way that the level is designed, it's almost impossible not to run into the mushroom. Right. But you hit it and then you get bigger. So that teaches you, oh, this is a power-up. This makes me stronger. This entire level is designed this way to teach you all the mechanics, everything that you need to know, without so much as a single word of dialogue or tutorial or anything. It is an unbelievable feat in game design. Right. So. um, Which is something that they definitely had uh, had to... Look into research, analyze, master, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Because they, it, it, of course, this was all pre-internet, right? Um, right. And like you said, the the booklets they they can only do so much. Right. And even if they decided to put little tutorials or mm-hmm. how tos or whatever in there, like you know, a, a kid they they don't want to fucking read that. They just right. want to stick the cartridge in, like you said, and and go at, go at it. Exactly. Um. And the game was designed where you could literally do exactly that. Yeah. And it was encouraged to almost. Right. And. and, and the, and the controller itself, like holy yeah, shit, true. like it is a physical reflection of, of of the game in so many ways, like so simplistic. Exactly. Like there's an A button, there's a B button, there's start, uh, and a D pad. That that's literally it. 
yeah and a select button but didn't really even really use it yeah yeah so um it was all designed around that simplicity but yet it was there was also so such a level a level of depth and that's something that's always been uh, present with mario there's always been you know it's always been accessible to the newcomer but also for those who get pro at it mm-hmm. oh my gosh there was so much depth there i mean right. it's amazing and 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 that was something that miyamoto really went for when he designed mario he wanted to and that's something to this day mario has always been known for this um, Miyamoto has he's always wanted you to try something be like I wonder if I could get up there actually like if mm-hmm. I busted these bricks if I could actually run along the top of the screen where right. like the the numbers and stuff are yeah. and he designed it where you could literally do that I mean he encourages you to right um, you know there's you know it's famously 1-2 if you can skip that entire level you can jump on top of the level and run across the whole thing and skip the whole thing yeah um, you know, so if a kid was curious enough to try that, because of course there was no, again, there was no precedent for this. So a kid could try that and it actually work right. know, and actually be able to pull that off. And Miyamoto loved being able to do stuff like that. And talking about like such a, a genius move, yes. like to incorporate something like that, like you don't even want to think about that being like some sort of shortcut where you can bypass right. all the, the enemies, right. the Goombas and whatnot, and, and just go straight to the flagpole. Right. Like... Uh, I mean, if if you are imaginative enough to be like, hey, I wonder if I can get up there, like yeah. thinking yeah. outside the box, mm-hmm. um, then I you should be rewarded exactly. by uh, being able to to do stuff like that, right? Um, so yeah, it it makes perfect sense. Not only that, if you did it, uh, you were rewarded for it. Yeah. Um, if you actually got up there and you ran along the whole stage, it brought you to what was called the warp zone, which would let <laughs> oh, you yeah, skip right. ahead to like world four or world five. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's something to this day. Odyssey was full of it. Mm. Miyamoto loves to like reward curiosity like that. Right. And the like literally the first Mario game is full of those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's full of secrets, you know, hidden blocks and stuff. I wonder what would happen if I do this on this warp pipe. Oh my gosh, there's a whole other area down here. Right. Um, what was also interesting about Mario, uh, the original Mario, is that um, it was actually, you know, we all know uh, it's a side-scroller, right? It all it continuously scrolls to the right. Right. Um, but interestingly, at that point, that was actually not very common. Most NES games were panel-based. Mm-hmm. You'd have a panel, and you'd do what you need to do in it, and then when you got to the edge of it where you went into a new area, you had to wait for the panel to scroll over sure. to a new panel, and then it would stay put... And you do everything in there. Right. Most NES games were designed like that, um, or, or many of them. Uh, a, lot, a lot of, like, old uh, arcade games, like, I think mm-hmm. of, like, the Ninja Turtles games mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and other games like that where uh, it was multiplayer. Right. And, you know, you, you get in, everyone has their own joystick or whatever, and, like, you fight bosses, like, mm-hmm. you know, putties or, or whatever they mm-hmm. are. And then, like, after you defeat them all, like it, it like you said, it shifts to the mm-hmm. next panel. Right. Um, exactly. So. Yeah. So that was really cool that Miyamoto wanted to, he wanted to have that fluidity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he made it a point pretty early on that he wanted this to be a scrolling game. Um, now, of course, you can only scroll to the right. You can't go back to the left. Right. Um, so that was something that you had to take into consideration, too. But the fact that you could even scroll it like that was a big deal. So nobody, like, complained about it. Right. Um, but so it was anyway. pretty much like the first and last time that we mm-hmm. really, really uh, witnessed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and Miyamoto, he always kind of stuck with that with everything from like 
Metroid and stuff. But like Zelda, Zelda the original Zelda was panel-based. Right. You, you ran around in this one part of the overworld, and then you move up, and the screen would scroll up. So that that was a that was a really cool um, feature that was that was integrated into the original Mario. Um, but what was also so cool was just the fact that how how much he was able to do with so little. I mean, there's literally only four level types in the entire game. You know, there's like the above ground, like mm-hmm. grass, you know, just the regular levels. Right. You have the underground levels, um, and then you have water levels, the the infamous water levels, mm-hmm. and then the, the Bowser's castle levels, yeah. where you have the lava and the fire and all of that, but that's it. Um, uh, but that's literally all they needed back then, you know. Right. And there was, and, and like I said, it's amazing how much he was able to do with just those four, you know, level types and how much he was able to right. run with that. Um, and so, um, yeah, and there was just so much charm there. You know, like if you got to if you got to Bowser um, on any of the worlds before World 8 and you actually got to him with a fire flower and you hit him enough time with a, with a fire flower, you actually realized it was an imposter. It wasn't even Bowser. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you fight Bowser eight times, don't get me wrong, but technically like if you actually were to like hit him enough times, you'll see like a, Koop- a Koopa flip over or a Goomba flip over <laughs> right. and you realize it was an imposter, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the real Bowser was only in World 8-4. Um, and so like, but just like little charm like that, like he didn't have to do that. Like, he could have made you fight Bowser eight times and just been done with it. Right. But he was like, but what if a kid makes it here with a fire flower? What if he actually like hit Bowser enough times? What if you actually found out, oh my gosh, that's not even Bowser? Yeah. And you know, and actually integrated that into the game. And it's such a cool little moment, you know, to actually like get to Bowser, which is, you know, in a lot of those cast levels is hard to do. Um to get to him with your fire flower and then have that little moment of realization like, oh my god, that's not even Bowser. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like it's just amazing how much charm and originality was crammed into that freaking cartridge and you know, the 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 warp zones and even the fireworks. Do you know anything about the fireworks when you get to the end of the stage? Yeah. If you get to the end of a stage and you hit the pole when there's either a one, a three, or a six in your timer, mm-hmm. then you'll either get one firework or three fireworks huh. or six fireworks. That I did not know. Yeah, yeah. Like little stuff like that that just makes that game just so unbelievably wow. like just classic and just such a perfect little game. Right. Um which no. to this day, man, and it still holds its spot. I mean, you know, IGN did their like top one hundred greatest video games of all time. Uh-huh. Super Mario Brothers was like, I want to say like fourteen. It's like top fifteen, like yeah. to this day, right? Which it absolutely out of all the video games, exactly. And exactly. there's a lot. And which, of course, if you ask me personally, I would probably say it should be top ten personally. Sure. But the fact that you know a publication like that still acknowledges it as that sort of pillar, for of, sure. You know, I mean, that's that that speaks volumes to its craft. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what um, uh, Miyamoto? That's that's how you say his last name, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Was he more involved with like the design aspect and like coming up with the ideas uh, as far as the gameplay goes, or was he an actual like game developer where he like sat down and wrote some of the code that uh, developed the actual game? I want to say I don't know how much code he did because he's because he was originally an artist. Sure. So he yeah he's definitely more on the creative side. He loves okay. to design characters and worlds and stories. Cool. And, um, but he's also obsessed with game design. Um, he's obsessed with that precision that I was talking about, you know, right. um, how everything is calculated to the block. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you know, he, he definitely had his hand in every pie for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely, he, you know, if you ever hear interviews of him, like talking about his process of making video games, 
um, you definitely get a sense more that he he just he loves to create characters and he loves to create worlds and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, so you know that's where you start. That's that's like the inception of Mario. It was yes. the original Super Mario Brothers. Um, this is actually the only time really that that the timeline kind of branches a little bit. Okay. Um, between North America and Japan, famously. Sure. Um, so I actually let you kind of pick at this at work yesterday. Um, so. Uh, with the success of the first Mario, uh, of course, Nintendo wanted to pretty quickly follow it up with a sequel. Mm-hmm. So they basically took the exact same assets. They took the same everything, blocks and all, mm-hmm. um, and created the original Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. Now, if you've played Super Mario Brothers 2, this is probably not the one that you've played. Yes. Um, in America, we now know this is the Lost Levels. Right. Um, the AKA the hardest fucking game yes. of all time. <laughs> Exactly. Dude, like exactly. Yeah, I I know. So I I was uh, new to the the concept of this game existing. <laughs> right. I, I didn't know it was a thing. Right. Right. Um. So, and like you said, it was uh, Japan's original uh, Super Mario exactly. Brothers two. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, whoop! Just bitch slap my mic. Um. <clears throat> so but they they uh, who was it that decided that. It was just too damn hard for American audiences. You know, I don't really know who this person was who along the lines was like... I, I guess it was just like... Can we do this in America? Right, like, <laughs> I, I mean... And honestly, like, when I read that and when I was talking to you about it, I was like, I don't know, as an American, like, I don't yeah. know how to feel. Like, my initial reaction is kind of like... like how dare you? But then I'm like, ah, you're right, because this game is really damn yeah, hard. Yeah, then you actually get a hold of the game and you kind of realize... Wow. So yeah, that was they they crafted this entire game, and the and the way most people look at it is, you know, the original Mario goes up to World Eight Dash Four. So essentially, a lot of people kind of look at it as as Mario Bros. Two basically starts at Nine Dash One. Yeah, and you know what I mean because like I mean for it to start at that level of difficulty and only get progressively harder from there, I mean it makes sense to kind of look at it that way because that's how it that's definitely how it feels right upon booting it up. Um. So. Yeah, so it's called the Lost Levels because we uh, we famously didn't get it in America because it was deemed too hard for American audiences. <laughs> right. Um, which, like you said, does maybe seem a little unfair until yeah, until you get your hands on the game and you actually realize what they were talking about. Um, we did get it not too long afterwards. We got it in '93 um, as what what was uh, uh, it's called Super Mario All Stars. Uh, on the Super Nintendo, um, and so that was the first time that America ever got a hold of it, and that's what they called it: this Mario mm-hmm. the Lost Levels. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this was released in Japan only in '86, and um, I don't really know how it was received off the top of my head because it, it is kind of an enigma. It's not, there's not a whole right. lot, you know, in terms of I don't know a lot of the details. You know, we know so much about the original Mario. Um, but mm-hmm. the lost levels, you know, it's even called, being called the lost levels. It sort of has that aura of like yeah. mystery to it, right? Um, so it didn't do a whole lot to change the formula. It added a couple of of, of infamous changes. Um, most notably, it added the famous uh, the poison mushroom, right? Yes, which I you you let me figure that out the hard <laughs> yeah. way or discover it the to. hard way. Which, I, I mean, hey, that's fair. It's only fair. <laughs> We all have our first poison mushroom experience, right? And I yeah. would never take that away from somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, 
I looked at it, I was like, why does this mushroom look weird? Like, maybe yep. it's just the, yep. the way the, the game was designed. Nope, it's yep. it's green because it's a poison mushroom. Thankfully, it was never brought back. Um, re- actually, not not until uh, Mario Maker on the Wii, right. Wii U. It actually, it might not even have been until Mario Maker 2 on the Switch, um, where you could put them in your own levels. Um but thankfully, that was the only like canon series right. appearance of the freaking poison mushroom. Um, but other than that, um, oh my gosh, the level that I so literally this is the only Mario level uh, Mario game I've never beaten. I've beaten every other Mario game, which which should tell any anyone yes. that uh, that's a, either an avid <laughs> game player or not mm. a, a casual game player. Mm-hmm. Um, people that have have played the lost levels that haven't. Like that should, it in and of itself, should tell you yes. if Chase can't beat it, then <laughs> that gives you a good idea of how friggin' hard <laughs> this game is. I tell you, I get to that the infamous wind level. Mm-hmm. There's this one level, and anybody that knows anything about lost levels or, or anything about it will know exactly what I'm talking about because there's the infamous wind, blistering winds level. Yeah. You have to make these extremely precise platforming um, on these like trampolines, but all the while, which in and of itself is hard enough. But all the while, there is this blistering wind that completely throws off your precision platforming because mm-hmm. it like carries you all over the level. Um, and I've never been able to make it, even with save states. It's one of the f- like I I can't I just it's just too blisteringly difficult. Yeah. So definitely an interesting point of Mario history right there is the lost levels. Um, so we had to wait in America a couple of years. It wasn't until 1988 that we got our uh, version of Super Mario Brothers two. Um, which to say is different from the first one is an understatement. Right. Um, so this is actually, a, to this day, still somewhat of a divisive Mario game. Mm-hmm. Um, some people swear by it and say it's a great game, and, so, and then some people really just kind of kind of just throw this one to the side um, because it is so different. Right. Um, so, they, they introduce so many new things uh, uh, oh my in, gosh. in this game. It's crazy. So they kind of, instead of sort of building on the first game, uh, they sort of went in a completely different direction with it. Um, famously, it actually wasn't even initially designed as a Mario game. It was actually designed as a Japanese game called Doki Doki Panic. Right. Um, uh, and then Nintendo basically just took the original characters out and replaced them with Mario and, mm-hmm. and, and just made a Mario game out of it, which... Sort of adds a little fuel to some of the haters' fire. They're like, it wasn't even made as a Mario game. Right. It's really just a reskin Japanese game. Um, but that even aside, you know, standing on its own, it is still a great NES classic. So what's crazy about this one? Um, this one's more, um, it's built on this idea of like a dream, basically. Everything, you literally fall down the rabbit hole to begin. You start right. the game falling. Yeah. Um, it's all built on this idea of like you're in this this dream world. I think it's actually called Subcon is the name of the world. Okay. Um, so infamously, uh, one of the most crazy things they did away with was that they took Mario's jump away. Um, like you could, like what well, you could jump, but like, that's not how you could take out enemies anymore. Sure. You can jump on top of enemies, mm-hmm. but you, that doesn't like take them out anymore as you famously could in the first game. Right. Um, so this is sometimes referred to as a harvesting action game. And the reason they call it hmm. that is because literally a, a lot of the game is based on you like 
plucking these beets and these onions up right and throwing them at enemies and that's how you take a- enemies okay out. aptly named right yeah um uh and even enemies you would jump on top of enemies and then you scoop them up from out from under you and then you could throw them at other <laughs> enemies yeah um i guess just crazy but it you know um but what's cool though is that mario brothers 2 as different and weird and quirky as it is is it was still very important to um especially the future of mario games um, it did add um, a lot of what would become series mainstays characters. It added the Shy Guys. It added Birdo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they weren't actually called Bob-Oms, but the, the little Bob-Oms. Right. Um, they made their debut in uh, Super Mario Brothers 2. One of the most important game aspects, though, that um, Mario Brothers 2 added, though, was this sense of verticality to the level design. Right. So um, the first Mario Brothers was totally side-scrolling you know, left to right, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yep. You could only go right, period. Um, that was something early on that Super Mario Bros. 2 did away with. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you could actually go left in Super Mario Bros. 2. I think you could go back yeah. left if you mm-hmm. wanted to. But not only that, but there was also a lot of verticality to the level design. A lot. Yes, you would go from left to right, of course, but then you get to a point, and then you actually start ascending mm-hmm. and going up. Um, and then it became actually a panel-based progression you right. know you'd come to a mountain or whatever climb up some vines and then you kind of go up to the next panel right um so this something that would definitely carry into the next future mario games was this sense of verticality this was something that miyamoto really liked and that he wanted to run with in future games um but anyway um but yeah it was it was definitely a really different mario game and and like i said it still doesn't quite sit well um, with with some of the the more like purest Mario fans, sure. Um, but it did it it added the slot machine mechanic. Um, depending on how many coins you got, um, uh, you got to the end of the level, and for every coin that you um collected, you could do this jackpot. Um, right. Where yeah. you could you could um hopefully win substantially more lives, um, which you would definitely need <laughs> um, as it went on, because as with like any NES game, you know, they all got blisteringly difficult. Right. Um, you know, Lost Levels started blisteringly difficult, but like, you know, NES games, they always started, you know, like nice enough and, you know, they weren't brutal, but they definitely, by the time you got to the right, end... Right, just snowballed into madness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you had no Bowser in Mar- in Mario Two. You were actually going up against this giant frog mm-hmm. named Wart. Right. Um, Naturally. Yeah, who spit bubbles at you, and yeah, that was the main villain in Mario Brothers Two. Um, but another really cool um, and important um, addition to Mario Brothers Two is the uh, addition of three new playable characters. Um, right. So you could play as Luigi in the first Mario Brothers game, but he played no differently to Mario. He was literally just a player two character that you could, you know, if you had two people playing, if, you know, one player one died, then player two would start up as Luigi. And you're basically just trying to, you know, you play the game together that way. Um, but what's so cool about Super Mario Brothers 2, the, each character had their own, like, character traits, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, Mario, he's always been, like, the balanced character. He right. has, like, you know, um, he was just balanced all around. Luigi had a significantly higher jump, yeah. but he was harder to control. His momentum was a little more, it was hard to slow him down. Sure. Um, Peach, 
um, could hover, actually. She would jump, and then she could kind of hover a little right, bit. Right, yeah. Um, um, and then Toad um, was, I want to say, he was the high, uh, he was the fastest. He could run the fastest. That's right, yeah. Uh, but his jump was the shortest. Yes. So each character had their own little, you know. Pluses and minuses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which was something that was really cool, and especially certain, you know, levels were definitely sort of tailored to certain play styles. So it was sort of, it was cool to get stuck on a level and then be like, you know, this would actually be a good spot for Luigi. I could use his, like, extra jump here mm-hmm. um and talk about like an assessment of like individuality right like teaching right. uh young kids that it's okay to be different right like i know this is kind of out of left field but like it just no. kind of like reminded me of uh, or, or made me think of you know how how brilliant the the game mm-hmm. design with with this like introducing yeah. like i mean you know you're gonna have other characters so of course they're gonna be you know right. different from one another right. Um, so it's just cool that like others that they'll do something, uh, that builds on the last character right. and they do it a little bit better, but there's a setback, uh, right. compared to the previous character exactly, and so on and so forth with exactly. all the other, other characters. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it was like, you know, for, for all of its weirdness and it's kind of like left field from the, the first one, right. um, you know, it, it's definitely, it's a, it's a brilliantly well-made game. Mm-hmm. It still is a, it's a really, really well-made game and it's a, and it's still, I would say it's still a great Mario game. Yeah. Um, you had these weird like subspace mushrooms mm-hmm. where you pluck them and then it would flip the screen and right, make it yeah. look like all silhouette. And then, you know, you'd find a power up mushroom that would actually add another hit. You know, you could, you know, that was something that was new. Yeah. Um, and it was actually the game that added the pow block. You know, we all know that's like, right. Yeah. yeah, it was actually the game that. Yep. Um, so, m- I think more things than people realize came from Super Mario Brothers too. For sure, um, it has a special place in my heart. It's definitely not my favorite Mario game, but I still pick it up and play it all the time. It's a it's a really cool game. Um, and like I said, it laid it laid it did that much more to just keep building this foundation. You know, uh, for them to build on later. Um, so that was Super Mario Brothers 2. So then we come to the next year. Oh, with the Game Boy, right? Yep. That's, yeah. uh, that's the intro of the first Game Boy game. Yes. And I guess the game... Was it a launch title for uh, the, the Game Boy? No, or? I actually don't know off the top of my head. I'm not entirely sure, but I... It it's seemed, not super important. Uh, I mean, I, It wouldn't surprise me one bit. I know Tetris was. I know right. Tetris was a, was a launch title. E- either way, it followed very closely after the yeah, debut yeah, of the yeah, Game yeah. Boy. Um, so yeah, Super Mario Land, uh, first Mario game for the mm-hmm. Game Boy itself. Mm-hmm. Um, God, like this was such, like an amazing game, an amazing uh, uh, handheld device. Like it was my first. Like I had the NES. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My dad bought it for me, and we played um, that uh, the original Super Mario Brothers. I don't know if we had two, but we definitely had three. And then right. he, I, I think I got the Game Boy for Christmas one year, mm-hmm. um, and it was just the idea of being able to take your video games with you yep like yep. to places was just exactly. like exactly mind-blowing yep yep and it was a huge success the yeah. game boy oh, was, yeah. was a runaway success so of course um they quickly wanted to make sure that there was a mario game bundled with it um so hence we get super mario land so super mario land is basically it plays very similarly to super mario brothers the mm-hmm. original one right um which is great that's what everybody kind of wanted um 
Um, there are some differences. The enemies are a bit different because it, it takes place, again, it's actually not in the Mushroom Kingdom again. It's actually in this place called Sarasaland. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and this time you're actually not trying to rescue Princess Peach, but this is actually the debut of Princess Daisy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the game where Daisy comes from, um, actually. Uh, and again, it's not Bowser. <laughs> you're actually um, up against this, um, I want to say he was a purple alien called Tatanga. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like that guy. It's yeah. It's different. But yet again, it was definitely very much more rooted in that classic Super Mario Brothers style. It For sure. played very similar. You booted it up a little bit and played it just now on the Game Boy, actually. Yeah. So you you, you know what I'm talking? Like it's very similar. Yeah, my um, childhood just like reached up and bitch slapped me uh, out, of, out of nowhere. Like, and you started messing with like the the screen yeah. thing where uh, you know, depending on how you're looking at it, yep. you know, you adjust the. Yep. I mean, it's I guess you could call it the resolution or, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, it, it's just like I I was holding it. I was like, this is this is like my childhood come back to like not not haunt me like the opposite of haunt me. Right, just be yeah. like. Remember when things were like so simple yep. and wonderful, and yep. I, I don't know, just so many like oh, nostalgia yeah. feels like oh, yeah. came up. It was yep. it was great for sure. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Super Mario Land played pretty closely to Super Mario Brothers. The most interesting change to Super Mario Land was actually the introduction of these like vehicular stages. So for the first time, you actually had Mario. There was a plane level where you were in a plane, and it actually become basically it became a shoot 'em up. Right. Where you were, it was a side-scrolling game, and you were, you know, basically similar similar to, like, Gradius and those, like, old shoot-em-ups. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, there was a submarine level, and, yeah, you were in a little submarine, and, um, yeah, that was definitely the, the most interesting idea that came from Super Mario Land, was the vehicular stages. Right. Which isn't, which was actually one change that they didn't really run with that much in the future. Usually they make a change and they sort of build on it. Sure. Um, but vehicular things have never really been Mario's. Um, that's just I guess it never really quite suited him as sure. much as they thought it would initially um, so that that was I'm pretty sure it was a one-off thing I don't remember him ever flying a plane or <laughs> you know piloting a submarine or anything right. ever again um, but it was cool you know it was a it was a cool change of pace and for it to have been a handheld game for you to just carry around in your pocket not it, bad it kind of made sense yeah you know what I mean you know, I mean it was cool to have those little shoot 'em up levels and so um you know, there, it's it's just another great little Mario game that's just packed with charm. I mean, a right. lot of love went into it, and it, it's it's cool. It gave us Daisy, you know, for what that's worth. I mean, I know she's not the most sure well-known character, but I mean, she does have her own little following. I mean, she yeah. is part of the canon that we all know and love. So yeah. you know, that's where you can say, oh, that's where Daisy came from. Yeah, it it's got tons of familiarity mm-hmm. to it. Uh, you know, callbacks to the first two. Uh, so, so you have, you know, people on board automatically for that and plus there's, you know, a few new things Mm -hmm. thrown in there. So all all that combined, you have a pretty decent, um, you know, first Mario game for this first portable device. Right. Yeah. And for a lot of kids, that's exactly what they wanted. Um, kids who were disappointed with Super Mario Brothers 2 because it was so different and it wasn't really what they were expecting. Right. It was so awesome for a lot of kids to get Super Mario Land and for it to be that sort of return to form. Yep. Um, and for it to play and, and feel so similar to that first game. Um, while still being, you know, different, having some new ideas, very, very similar. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, that was Super Mario Land, which was, um, which was awesome for the Game Boy. 
Um, but then we have to go back to console. So the NES is still going. It is starting, I think it was slowing down. I think the SNES wasn't too far off at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but there was still one more one more NES game on the uh, in the Mario canon. And um, Nintendo, I think, realized after Super Mario Bros. 2 that people really kind of wanted to get back in touch with the magic and, and what made the first game such a, you know, just a masterpiece. Right. Um, so Super Mario Brothers 3, oh my gosh, they took everything that worked from the first and the second game and just completely built on it. Right. And, and of course, added so much more yeah. um, that would become, uh, again, that would just continue to build on the foundation. But it took that... that it went back to that sense of like the calculated uh, level design where every block right. was as it should be. Yeah. You know, like it was all so precise, um, but then incorporated like that, like I said, that sense of verticality that was in the second game. Um, so levels got way, way, um, in a way, way bigger, but also smaller. Sure. Um, because this game implemented uh, the world map. Yeah. Which was a huge development. Oh, yeah. That, that was a big uh, introduction yes. um, to, to Super Mario Brothers. Yes. Yes. So you actually had this um, this game map where you would actually, you know, you hit your first level, but then a lot of times you'd actually have options. You could go to the second level or you could go on down to the third level. Yep. And you actually had options in that sense, which meant that levels got smaller, like lengthwise, especially if you kind of went from just left to right. Mm-hmm. But if you explored a little more, because what's cool about 3-2 is how many new power-ups it added. Right. Um, one of the most famous ones is the raccoon suit, which is the one where he grows yes. the little tail, you know? Yes. So you get a running start, you activate this raccoon thing, and then you, you could fly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so that's where they incorporate that verticality that they kind of learned to love from the second game. If you actually got up there, then of course... In like just standard Miyamoto style, mm -hmm. he wanted to reward players that were curious enough to know what was up there. Um, so if you actually made it to a point with a raccoon suit or whatever, and you know if you flew up there, there were always like coins or like hidden levels or whatever or like or hidden areas. Um, so that was a huge step in the game design aspect for Mario was this implementation of the world map. And, you know, just taking everything that worked so well for the first two games and just totally building and just expanding on it. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, yeah, totally flooded the game with all sorts of new power-ups. There was, like, the famous Tanuki suit. Mm -hmm. um, there was the frog suit, which made swimming really, like, easy. And you could right. do all... You could move a lot faster and stuff. And it was... That was super cool. Um, um, I never really got... I never got great at using it um but it was super cool to have um from what i uh from what i remember the graphics also saw a pretty, oh yes pretty good yeah. bump in in quality big time big time um yeah they added the the hammer suit where you mario could actually like give them yeah. a taste of their own medicine and right throw the hammers back at them um there was oh my gosh and there was the shoe so there was this one level um, do you remember that? I think it was like in World 5 or something. Um, it sounds familiar. This Goomba comes up to you in this little green shoe. Okay. You bounce on the Goomba, and then the shoe stays there. 
and if you actually get in the shoe, then he hops around in the shoe, and you can actually like jump on top of like. Okay, I think I, I think I remember this vaguely. Cool, yeah, it was so weird because it was like in that one level, right? And they didn't have to do that, but like there was this one cool level where you got to hop in this little green shoe, and you were basically like invincible. You could like jump on top of enemies that you couldn't before, right? And be totally okay. And um, oh, it was the coolest thing in the world. There was just so many weird, quirky ideas like that. And one of the other cool foundational things that this game added so it brought bowser back Mm -hmm. because that was sorely missed you know everyone wanted to see bowser again because everyone loved bowser so they brought bowser back but contrary to the first game you know you fought him eight times in the first game Mm -hmm. um so he kind of wore out his welcome for some people so in this one bowser's there but you didn't see him till the end period so this game introduced the koopalings all of his little children and stuff and which which would become series mainstays so you had like roy koopa and ludwig von koopa and (laughs) wendy koopa um and they became the end bosses for each world um and what was really cool you know to keep them from getting repetitive they all had different patterns and they all fought differently you know sure um some of them were like based on warp pipes you had to figure out which wipe i think it was windy she would come through like different pipes you had to figure out which one she was going to come out of um and one like they were all different and then and then they also introduced um i, I want to say yeah he was a serious mainstay he was like the fa- the, the mid bosses he's called boom boom mm-hmm. um so he was introduced in mario 3 um and he would become a series mainstay um at least in the 2d in the in the 2d games i know in world and in mario uh mario wii and I think in Wii U, I think he's been around in most of the side scrollers since. Okay. Um. So yeah. So like three brought Boom Boom and um and the the Koopalings, which was super cool. Um. But it also um it, what was really cool was how diverse the level design was. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Mario Bro, like the original Mario Brothers, you had four level types. You know, like the the above ground, underground, water, and castle, right. and that was it. Um. Like I said, they were able to do a lot with it, but that was it. But in this one, every world had its own theme. You had like the grass world, then mm-hmm. you had the desert world, then you had right. like the giant world where everything was massive. Right, right. And you had like the pipe world, the water world. Every You had all these different worlds that were completely different. And mm-hmm. so the entire game continuously felt fresh. It never felt like you'd been there before, mm-hmm. which was super, super cool. And it was just mind-boggling at the time, you know, especially coming off of Mario 1. You know, where every every level kind of dialed into that sort of lane and it kind of stayed there. Right. Um, which made sense at the time. Um, but for this one to totally explode in that terms of content was just crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was a big thing. And uh, and and this was definitely a game that was um, where they really ran with the secrets. Um, uh, not so much in like secret levels as would come in the next game, uh, but like a lot of like hidden blocks that would take you to hidden areas and stuff. Um, that's something that they that Nintendo has always loved to like cram their games full of. Right. Um, but yeah, um, it it kept the jackpot element that you know yep. Mario Two established. Yep. Um, where you had that was actually that was actually implemented in the overworld. You know, you'd see like these little like toad houses where you could go play these little mini games to win right. power ups and stuff, and and you know more lives and stuff. Um, so Mario Brothers Three is still again it's still considered one of the greatest video games ever made. It um, it, it for sure holds uh, a, a special place in my mm-hmm. heart. I, I know we uh, we've talked about this a bunch, or I've talked your ear off about it. But it just <laughs> it, it, it as far as the the nostalgia factor, yeah, it holds yeah. a pretty big place for me because um, it's. 
I'm trying to think if it was. It might have been the first Mario game that I played. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I played the original before this or not. Right. Either way, it's the 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 first Mario game that I clearly remember playing. Right. Um, And it's weird because I mean I was super young. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. maybe like five or six. Um. And, you know, still living in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And my dad, like, uh, bought it for me. Like, he was, like, he was the best present uh, giver, buyer (laughs) of all time. And, like, he bought me the NES and this game. And, like, he would, not to, like, let me play it, but, like, he played it with me. Like, you know, my parents were young when when they started having kids. Sure. And I was the first. So, of course, you know, I got my parents when they were at their youngest. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, like playing with my dad and like the thought of like looking back now like the thought of him like taking time to like play with me yeah, yeah. um is just i don't know heartwarming um, definitely, and not to definitely. like get off track and like mushy at the same time that's what it's, it's all just, about though yeah i yeah I, I feel like you know nintendo has already uh, always kind of like that's that's what they've invested their, exactly. their their time and energy into is making this more than just your run of the mill gaming experience. Exactly, it's it's something that goes on for generations. Exactly, and you know it it creates that special place right. uh, in in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so Super Mario Brothers three was a uh, was a knockout hit for Nintendo, whereas Super Mario Brothers two was a little you know like I said it was a pretty divisive on how it was re- sure. it was received. Uh, Super Mario Brothers three was pretty much unanimously held as like the you know the next step right. in video game design. Yeah, um, which is a thing with Mario. Mario always kind of he's always sort of been the torchbearer for like the signaling the next step in game design for sure um which does definitely lead us to the super nintendo yep um so nes runs its course and so it's and it was a huge success um which at this point means that there is a video game industry this was not a fad at this point it was obvious that this was a fledgling industry that was going mm-hmm. somewhere yep um which also meant that competitors were hopping on the train yeah. uh, sega notably yep anyone who knows their video game history knows around this time this is when nintendo and Sega were absolutely oh. they had one of the most cutthroat yep. um you know dis, not disputes but um competition yes they were yeah. they were two of the biggest competitors yeah i i had uh, i had a sega as well mm-hmm. I, I think i think that's maybe why i didn't have uh, a super nintendo right. is that i got you got uh, a genesis uh, uh, yeah the sega genesis yep. instead yep. um and i think i got <laughs> it because i went over to a friend's house and played Sonic, Sonic the, Hedgehog. the Hedgehog. Yeah, and exactly. fucking fell in love with exactly. it. Exactly. And I, I, and I think it's just what I ended up asking for Christmas. Yep. For that year. So, um, and my parents like stuck it behind the tree where, and they like covered it up with like the the little tarp thing that you put down on the floor. <laughs> like if you have a, I mean you can get it if you have a fake tree. Oh, the tree um, skirt. The tree skirt. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, tree yeah. skirt. Yes. Uh, anyways, uh, but they kind of like concealed it. And uh, so we thought we were all done, like, opening presents. Right. And then, like, uh, they were like, oh, it, I think there's another one back there. And I'm like, is there? And so, like, I grabbed it. They are like, and that's for all of you, by the way. And, like, I opened it up and I'm like, fucking Sega! Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, definitely that was kicking up in high gear because it was obvious that the video game industry was not a fad, but it was obviously going somewhere. Right. So, Nintendo saw sega and they saw sonic the hedgehog and they saw all this competition so they're like okay 
So obviously we gotta we gotta we gotta you know mm-hmm. keep keep the steam rolling here. So basically, um, they knew they were gonna launch with Mario. That was that was a given. Right. Um, but the question was, where do we go with Mario? So they took him out of the Mushroom Kingdom because I don't I don't know if I made note of that. Mo- uh, Super Mario Three was a return to the Mushroom Kingdom, which everybody you know was ready to get back to. Right. Um, but Mario World, um, maybe against what you know might have been perceived as the best thing to do at the time they they again took it out of the mushroom kingdom and put it in a new world so they took it to dinosaur land (laughs) was the name of this place and of course if anyone knows anything about mario if you hear dinosaur you know that means yoshi Yoshi. exactly Mm -hmm. um my man mm -hmm. Ah. yep obviously um for anyone that knows anything about mario this was a huge huge deal yoshi became an instant staple to mario from like then on yep um so Super Mario World is generally known, well, it's generally known for a lot of things, but, you know, uh, face level, uh, Yoshi was a big deal. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, from a gameplay per- perspective, so it brought the overworld map back mm-hmm. and amped it up to 100. Yeah. So they took that idea from Mario Brothers 3, where it was sort of this kind of limited sort of grid-based, sure, almost like a board game sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and totally expanded it to this entire island. Um and so, you know, you, you, you had this, uh, uh, yeah, the, the whole overworld expanded. But one of the things that um, also that, 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 Mario, that Mario World was mainly known for uh, was its secrets, like its overabundance of secrets. Okay. So it was always known for like its little trivial secrets where you'd stumble on like an invisible block or whatever. Sure. But what was crazy though in Mario World is they wanted to take that, they wanted to amp it up to 100 again like they did basically everything. Yeah. Um, so you'd be going through these levels and you'd find these keys and, you know, and then so you start carrying this key around for the rest of the level. And if you were curious enough, and if you kind of like comb the level enough, you know, or if you had the right power up or whatever, right. you'd find this weird little place where there was a little keyhole. Mm-hmm. And if you walked up to it and you went up to you know, with it, yeah. it, it would like open up and, you know, and it would literally reveal entirely new parts of the overworld, mm-hmm. which was crazy. It was mind boggling to people at the time where you would see this overworld. And, you know, overworlds were not, like, an accepted thing yet. That was still sort of like a developing idea. Sure. So you saw the overworld and you said, okay, that's it. You know, I can go there and I can go there. Um, So for you to be in this level and find this secret exit or whatever, and then to come out of the overworld and then see something, like, grow there, you know, see, like, this branching path or something come out of the water, whatever it was, was a huge, huge deal Um, that blew... Lord knows how many kids' minds right. back in 1991. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it is it is insane. I, I want to say there's like tw- over 25 secret exits um, in that game. I mean, it is a staggering amount of secrets in that game to the point where I literally have the book. They had to do a book that's like yay thick. Yeah. You know, that's literally devoted specifically to just finding all of these <laughs> secrets because there were so many. Um, what, so, and, and what's crazy about this, like... 16 people were involved in the creation of this game. <laughs> yeah. Six, 16. Yeah. One six. Yep. That's, uh, yep. uh, I mean, that in and of itself is just mind-blowing. Yep. Um, I mean, like, you, you think of, uh, you know, video game companies today and how many people are involved with, uh, you know, making... Um, you know, games for mm-hmm. uh, just that console or, yeah. you know, third-party uh, game developers. Like, 
I don't know, like hundreds mm-hmm. of people are mm-hmm. involved. Uh, but oh, to easily. think of like, you know, I mean, my office is pretty small, but, you know, you could fit half of that team in mm-hmm. here if you needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's just crazy to think about. It's staggering. No, it is, especially when you actually play the freaking game and you see what they were able All to right. come up with. Yeah. Um, so this game to this day is regarded as, by some people, the greatest video game ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to like IGN's you know, 100 greatest video games list that they did not too long ago, and they actually just recently updated it. Uh, on both lists, Mar- Mario World was number one. Um, it is uh, unanimously held as um, a pillar of game design. So easily some of the best, if not the best game design right. that you can find. Um, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Yoshi's in it. It does not hurt anything that Yoshi's in it. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a, it's a, in typical Nintendo fashion, it's a culmination of everything that's worked mm-hmm. in every game that came before it. Yeah. You have the verticality, you have the secrets, you have the precision platforming. Um, and then in this case, you have the return of the overworld, you have the return of the Koopalings. They're, they're here again, right. and they're, they're new, and... Um, uh, uh, or, or doing new things, you know, new types of boss battles and stuff. Um and yeah, and there was, and again, you just had, it was just overloaded with Nintendo's charm. You know, how the way that like Yoshi was like scared to go into the castles, you know, mm-hmm. you'd go up to a castle if you got there far enough with Yoshi and then Yoshi wouldn't go in the castle with Mario. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which was just so like, oh my gosh, like it's just little things like Like you would that. have to jump off, right? Or mm-hmm. he exactly. would push you off or something? Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was staggering what they were able to come up with, especially with such a small team. Yeah. And just, um, of course, the graphics was a, a huge leap. Yeah. You went from 8-bit to 16-bit. Yep. Um, so you literally could see the pockets on Mario's butt when he had his butt turned to you. Yeah. And it was literally like, it was, you know, they wanted to really, they ran as far as they could with the, the graphics because that was something that Sega was really pushing. Mm-hmm. And so they really wanted to make sure that they could, com- that they could compete with Sega. Right. Um, in the in the bit wars, as as many people call them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and you know, since you're in Dinosaur Land, what's cool is that though, since they took it to Dinosaur Land, they didn't like do away with the series mainstay enemies like they did in like Mario Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so you still had your Goombas and your Koopa Troopas and you know like your mainstay enemies. Um, but they also did add, of course, with you being in Dinosaur Land, you had like the Rhino Dino. And there was, oh God, there was one called Charge and Chuck, who was like this like Koopa Trooper with like a football helmet on. Oh, right, And right, he would like yeah. charge at you and oh, he'd like God, yeah. barrel into you. Uh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Mario World, though, what was cool for those of those gamers who were really kind of into the hardcore gaming, who mm-hmm. loved a good challenge, Mario World was definitely one of the most challenging Mario games yeah, up to that for point. Sure. Um, and what was really cool is it really rewarded you if you if you really went for it in terms of difficulty. So this is the first game that implemented the um, the famous Star World, um, which m- pretty much every other 2D Mario game would implement after that. Right. Um, so if you did if you checked all the right boxes and you did everything you needed to do, um, once you got to the end of the game and you beat Bowser, the what, what was called the Star World would rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally all it was was these were all challenge levels. These were blisteringly difficult challenge levels. Right. Oh my god, there's a level called Tubular, which is infuriatingly <laughs> difficult. That always is like the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so this was one of the first games that really, because Nintendo definitely loves to challenge you, but mm-hmm. they want to make sure that you want to be challenged, though, in a lot of ways. Sure. So they kind of set those levels, instead of putting those kinds of levels in the freaking base game for some poor kid to try and get through, Right. they kind of set it, you know, they were like, okay, for those who want this, you know, because they love making levels like that, they literally, they kind of put it in its place, you know what I mean? They 
they design it in a way that if you want to be challenged like that, like I do, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's there. And you can eat that stuff up all day long. And it's phenomenal. So, yeah, it was the introduction of the Star World, which which would be a reoccurring thing in, in his legacy as he went on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, the whole the whole thing, you know, it still holds up easily as one of the greatest video games ever made. For sure. Um, and um, to this day, I still love going back and... And every time I go back and replay it, I always find, you know, a new secret or something. You know, there's always something I missed last time, totally. Yeah. Um, Because it is, it's such an expansive game for it to, you know, be so seemingly small at first. Um, It's amazing what what they were able to do um, with so little. Um, Right. So that's Super Mario World. Right. Yeah, that Um, brings us to the the second release for the Game Boy. Yep, yep. Super Um, Mario Land 2. Yep, the six golden coins. Yep. Um, So basically, um, so where Super Mario Land, the first one, was basically Super Mario Brothers on a handheld. This one, Super Mario Land 2, was basically World um, on a handheld. Mm -hmm. So it plays very similar, similarly in the fact that you have, again, you have an overworld, um, uh, and you know, that sort of like, um, uh, fragmentation, if you will, of like all the different worlds, how they're all different. You know, you have a, like a, there's a tree world and there's like, there's like a toy factory and then there's like space. You actually go into space (laughs) for the first time and he even has like his like space suit and everything. Um, so basically that's sort of how Super Mario Land 2 plays. It plays very similarly to World. Um, so what's really cool about Super Mario Land 2 is that this was the game that um, introduced Mario's other arch enemy. Um, so not Bowser, but Wario. This right. was the first appearance of Wario. Um, so the premise is really strange. It actually, it's like Wario has... Um, uh, overtaken Mario's mansion, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's like, oh, okay, so Mario has a mansion, which I guess, you know, he gets all these coins, so he... I mean, like, <laughs> right, if, if he was very frugal with his money, then why why not be able to afford a, a, a whole mansion right. for it's, himself? Yeah, it's kind of a questionable premise, but yeah, so like Wario, Wario steals Mario's mansion, and so he has to get his six gold coins, um, to be able to open the door to get back into his, his mansion and, and sure. stop Wario. Um, so yeah, it was super cool. I mean, it was again full of charm. Uh, it's weird, Tatanga, the, the main villain from the first Mario Land uh-huh. game, he actually, he, he reoccurs as a boss, which is not something that they regularly did with like one-off enemies like that, you know? Sure. Um, so Tatanga came back, which was cool. And they had some cool new like power-ups. You had like the space suit and the bunny suit was fun. Um, um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, it was basically Super Mario World, um, on the Game Boy, which was a big deal. I mean, it, it obviously did extremely well, um, because Mario World was such a big deal. Right. Um, and they were able to pull off something very similar mm -hmm, on a handheld device. mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's Mario Land 2 in a nutshell. If you have a Game Boy, it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. Um. That brings us to Super Mario All-Stars. Yeah, briefly, yeah, so there was All-Stars. So all basically, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier, Super Mario All-Stars, um, uh, we talked about ports earlier, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a collection of all three of the NES Super Mario games yep. um, that were sort of remade in, in the 16-bit beautiful graphics um, and then brought to the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, you know, that's pretty much all there is to say on that. They play exactly the same way. They just look 
really really good right you know, with like the 16-bit graphics Yeah, a little bit of a facelift exactly the uh the most notable thing there um is definitely the inclusion of the lost levels that was the first time yeah. that america was able that yep. america was ever able to play um the lost levels right they were they were just like all right you've had a, a lot of exposure to yeah, mario exactly. you, you've dealt with a lot of complications <laughs> Uh, maybe you'll be able to handle this level of difficulty. We'll see. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's all stars. Um, and it's a great c- collection. I've played it, um, obviously, and it, and it, it, it plays fantastically. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely one worth checking out. Um, mm-hmm. especially if you've never played the original three NES games, I would still suggest playing the three originals first, just because they're still just overloaded with that, like NES charm right. that you just can't quite. I don't know, there's something about it. But if you have played the NES classics um, and you're kind of itching to get back to them, um, that's a great way to revisit those games in sort of like a new light. For sure. Um, so, yeah, so that's All Stars. And so um, so after All Stars, we get Yoshi's Island, right? Yep. So I won't spend a whole ton of time on that one because so because so, it's kind of debated if it's actually considered a Mario game. Um, even though um, it is called Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the cool thing about this one, though, is it's actually basically a prequel to all the Mario games. Okay. So Mario and Luigi are in these games, but they are helpless infants. Yeah. They're babies. Right. Um, and so um, anyway, the, the whole premise is just baby Luigi gets kidnapped, and so baby Mario gives chase, but of course he's baby Mario. Mm-hmm. So this clan of Yoshis finds him and and so they like help so you play as yoshi yeah um and it is one of the most beautiful games you will ever play in your life yeah it is a masterpiece and i could talk about it longer but like i said it's just it's a little divisive just in terms of like if it's considered like a mario game sure um because mario is completely helpless the entire game yeah (laughs) um in fact almost annoyingly so to some people because every time yoshi gets hit um, baby Mario starts crying and he floats away in this bubble and you have to go back and get Mario. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I um, remember that. And that's it. Like, that's that's Mario's whole presence. There's a couple of points where he kind of gets this, like, power up mm-hmm. and he can kind of run around and do his own thing for a minute. Um, but it's very short-lived. It's it's a Yoshi game at its heart. Um, but it is also a Mario game because Mario's there. Um, and it's in the title. So I, right. cons- I consider it part of canon. Yeah. Um, but oh my gosh, it's it's one of the the games definitely when the argument comes up that whether or not video games are considered um, art, mm-hmm. this is a game that regularly does come up because the art style it's this like watercolor, um, actually sort of crayon sort of art sure. style, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, every single level just looks beautiful in that game. Um, yeah, I really want to go back and play it now. It, I know we, you were talking mm-hmm. a little bit about this before we uh, sat down to record, and mm-hmm. I was I was trying to recall. Uh, I'm pretty sure I played this game. If I did, it was obviously a very long time ago. Yeah. And as I said, I, I don't think I ever owned uh, an SNES. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I did, it was a, a very fleeting kind of um, right. you know, playing of this game. So right. I, I don't. 100% recall but sure I, I definitely want to play it now like it, my bank account is like David don't go buy a switch don't go buy a switch it's one of my favorite um, bit Mario games yeah. easily um, it's it's up there with uh, World and the original Mario Brothers those are probably my favorites but um, Yoshi's Island is definitely one of my favorite bit games of sure. all time 
because um, it's just an absolute work of art. It's it's the Yoshi game that introduced his his egg mm-hmm. ability where yeah, you yeah. swallow an enemy and then his yeah. trail of eggs fall around and you yep. can throw them at things. Right. That's where this came from. Um, and then, of course, the, the main villain, um, so since Mario and Luigi are, are babies, so the main villain is Baby Bowser. Right. And it is Naturally. just, oh my gosh, it's adorable. But he actually ends up becoming one of the most intimidating bosses um, of that era, actually. Right, um, like he gets all like ginormous, and it's just it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of my one of the most memorable things about it, actually, it's one of the few, if not the only Mario game where a Mario character just totally trips their balls. There is a level called Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy, where there's these little <laughs> there's these little fuzzy flowers, and if uh-huh. Yoshi touches them, the entire level goes absolutely. It looks like shrooms. I mean, the whole level gets like I, I wavy do this. and yeah. like and literally, if you look at Yoshi, his eyes are like all bloodshot, and like <laughs> he's all like. It is the funniest thing in the entire world. It's like, were they actually doing shrooms when they came? Oh, up they with had this to idea? have been. God, yeah. I mean, like. Uh, yeah, if I don't know if you could be like sober or a non-drug taker uh, and come up with this kind of idea, right? Yep, um, yep. So, like I said, as as far as I know, it's the only 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 Nintendo game, as far as I know, where a character just absolutely trips the heck out. Um, but anyway, but jokes aside, it is an absolutely brilliant game, and it is on it is on the Switch's and SNES online yeah. service. Um, so if you have not played either of the Mario World games, Mario World and Yoshi's Island, um, do yourself a favor. They're two of the best games um, of that entire era, if not of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, at this point, we talked all 2D platformers mm-hmm. um, because that was that was the name of the game. There, you know, um, that was all you could do with systems like the NES and the SNES. There was no 3D. Um, you know, that was something that was just not fathomable. They sort of hinted at it with certain games, like with like Super Mario Kart, um, F-Zero, uh, and Star Fox, where they sort of did these tricky things with like perspective of, sure. you know, you know, it sort of looked like you were on a 3D plane, mm-hmm. but realistically, you know, it, it was, a, they were 2D systems, but you know, as, as the video game industry was continuing to explode, obviously that was what a lot of developers were starting to think about right that just seemed like the next place to go but you know getting there was a different story because you have to imagine they were just now starting to figure out 2d games they were just starting to really hone in that craft right so for them to consider this whole other idea of game design pretty courageous was basically going back to square one right you know what i'm saying like i mean yeah, I mean, you're forced with, like, hey, let's get even better at what we've mm-hmm. been doing, mm-hmm. or we can, like, possibly, like, totally screw ourselves exactly. with uh, going with, you know, what we came from, which mm-hmm. is exploring brand new territory. Yep. Um, and and that's exactly what they did. Exactly. So, at this point, um, all, all of the... Um, the uh, competitors in the race start thinking about 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> Nintendo comes out with the Nintendo 64. Um, my favorite console of all time. Uh, mine too. <laughs> mine too. The N64 is my favorite console as well. I think we gushed a little bit about Ye- it on the collector's yes, episode. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it is my absolute favorite. Um, this is also when Sony got in on the race. Right. So the original PlayStation yep. uh, came out during this era. 
Um, and then Sega, bless their hearts. Um, this was the era of the, the Dreamcast. Dr- I want to say it was the Dreamcast. Either the, either the Dream Dreamcast or the Saturn. I think oh, it was the Dreamcast. No. no, I think it was the Saturn. I think oh. the Dreamcast was their swan song. Y- yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is correct. I, I totally forgot about the Sega Saturn. It, well, most um. people do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Saturn, yeah, that was that was their their console of that generation, and it, yeah. Sega really struggled with the three oh, D with yeah. the three D the three D transition. Sony excelled in it. They they did totally fine in it. Um, but Nintendo spearheaded it. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, as in typical Mario fashion, uh, Mario was going to be the torchbearer for this next step in video game um, evolution. Yeah. Um, but obviously, this was a huge undertaking. Um, so all we knew was 2D Mario running from left to right, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the question of bringing that into a 3D environment, it was just, like I said, it was totally going back to square one. Right. So um, people questioned if it could even be done, um, if, you know, Mario should be in 3D, like even questioning it in that regard, like right. if that was something that Mario was meant to do. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, they took a leap of faith with it, obviously. And, um, and what we ended up with was Super Mario 64. Um, and again, I know it's like a broken record, but to this day is considered one of the greatest video games. Uh, deservedly so. Of all time. Yeah. Um, literally the game that laid the foundation for 3D gaming, which yeah. is literally everything that we know now. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most important moments in video game history was Super Mario 64 establishing that precedent. Um, and so... Gosh, where to start even? I mean, there's so much to unpack with 64. I know, right? Like, (laughs) there's just... uh, I mean, we could do a whole episode just on on this game alone. Frankly, Uh, I mean, really, it's it's such a dauntingly important and just huge game to talk about. Um, Especially for someone who's, like, really passionate about it right like I, am. I mean like we <clears> could <throat> we could talk about the fact that like as of 2017 it sold over 11 million copies <laughs> worldwide which is a lot yep uh yep. And, and no telling how many people had picked it up like since then mm-hmm. for for like the switch like going back and getting all the legacy games right um uh yeah it's just it's staggering and, and then all the th- all the new moves that it introduced oh my gosh so you know this was this was mario's jump to 3d and miyamoto knew that this was going to be a completely new feel and everything for everyone um and so he basically without even really thinking about it created what we now know as the first hub world mm-hmm. you know which is a staple of like open world games and stuff like that nowadays yeah um but um he creates this hub world which is peach's castle um and basically makes this safe space with like no enemies no hazards and because he knew as soon as a player booted this game up that's the first thing they were going to do is just start running around right. and realizing oh my god i can go this way i can go that way and realizing that you could literally you have 360 degree movement now which mm-hmm. was mind-blowing to kids at the time right um and then then you start to actually explore his moveset you know yeah he can still jump mm-hmm. but then you realize he can punch for the first time which was you know crazy right. he could dive he could do triple jumps he could do crouch backflips. like his you know it would have been so easy for them to have just you know given him jump and move because, you know, it was such a daunting task already for them to just create, to put Mario in these huge worlds that he, you know, that just, that they could, they'd never fathomed trying to build before. 
Right. But they filled it to the filled them to the brim with all these like move sets and stuff. And so, you know, for people who got good at these things, I mean, you could totally break these levels and, you know, you right. know bypass things, but but never to the detriment of the levels. They were actually designed in a like I said, this goes back to me Miyamoto loves doing this, designing levels in a way where if you got good at these mechanics, mm-hmm. um and you got good at this tool set that he gave you, then you could pull these things off and you could bypass like hard stretches and get to higher levels quicker right um than having to take the, the long road around um so yeah i mean mario's move set was like completely unprecedented um you had the the um the implementation of the overworld and i mean famously i mean this was the first time we ever heard mario talk right if you can call that there talking exactly yeah exactly yeah. like the famous mario like Woo's and like, you right, know, like yeah. what he's become known for. I mean, this was the first time we ever heard Mario's voice, um, which was just you know for me people was like kind of an emotional moment, you know. Like, for sure. I mean, he's this character that by this point people had become so attached to, and had become such a staple of the medium and such like a just a you know a pillar of the industry. Um, so to be able to you know see him in this huge 3D world and you know I mean and to hear him speak i mean that was just that was a that was a pretty big deal right. and peach you know peach spoke right there at the get-go yeah you know um um and to hear bowser's laugh for the first time <laughs> yeah, right yeah. yeah i mean you know it yeah, was just like you said like filled completely filled to the brim with with new stuff mm-hmm. like and and totally in nintendo fashion right and, and mario brothers fashion mm-hmm. where you know they introduce something pretty new mm-hmm. like it, it's not just another game for the same console like it's a it's a totally new console right and it's a new game and like you said like they could have gotten away with just doing like maybe one or two new things mm-hmm. and focused more on like the just the gameplay itself for a 3d game right because it was their first 3d mario game right um but all these new moves that they added in mm-hmm. and the functionality of him uh, and all the other characters like talking. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's crazy how much extra effort, how much, uh, all the, the extra miles they mm-hmm. went to, to, to make sure that this game was revolutionary. Right. And it's, uh, you know, as we've discussed, it's stood the test of time. Yes. You know, it, yes. Um, you know, and it's so cool. You can, it, it just, you can tell that it was such a first because this was the first game that had like a 3D camera, mm-hmm. which was something that they had to figure out. But right. what was so interesting about it was since it was the kind of the first game that had a, a 3D camera, they actually embodied it as a Lakitu with a video camera. And it was like the Lakitu bros. Right. So they even like personified the camera because it was such a new concept. They mm-hmm. even gave the, the camera a personality. It was this Lakitu who was always following you around. Right. I mean, to the point where if you went upstairs in the castle at one point, you looked in the mirror, you can see him behind you <laughs> holding the camera. Yeah. It is like the coolest little thing in the world. Right. It's like little things like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, totally. Like, they they, they didn't need to do that, but mm-hmm. they, as you said, the personifying this new thing right. to where it's no longer this like I guess quote unquote scary mm-hmm. aspect of gameplay that that's so unfamiliar it all of a sudden becomes you know uh, a lovable part right. of the, the right. game itself and right. you're like oh like this is kind of adorable right 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 um so yeah it's 
Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, like this one, it, uh, just like Super Mario Brothers three, like holds also holds a place in my heart. Yes. Um, my, uh, Lindsay, if she was here right now, she'd talk your ear off about this game. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, she, <laughs> it, this was her favorite game for a very long time. Yeah, um, yeah. They and her and her sister, like they didn't, you know, they they kind of fell subject to the whole like girls don't play with video games kind sure. of thing, but. Um, her parents they bought her uh, you know a 64 when when it right. came out and, uh, and and so she played it and like when I was in high school she would she would come over to my house after I got home from school and uh, and we would play this game mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because she just loved it so much and we were we were broke high school kids so sure. we didn't really have and also that tells you how fucking long that we've been together is <laughs> that sure. like we we did it in high That's school awesome. That's um, awesome. but yeah uh, it, it's just um, I don't know kind of one of those it's definitely a, a nostalgia thing yeah uh, with this game as well yeah but you know just collecting all the the, pow- the power stars and right. like and even just you know getting into each level that 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 first moment when you jump through that first painting oh into for sure into bob battlefield you know i mean you know it was just there was so it's such an amazing way that nintendo actually went through with this whole this whole leap and the way that they kind of personified it and they sort of, you know, the way that they framed it that way, um, you know, because you see that sort of like that diversity in level design, you know, you have like Bottom's Battlefield and then you have like Dire Dire Docks and mm-hmm. then, you know, you have, oh my God, Rainbow Road. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get sweaty just thinking about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Um, you know, but like the whole, you know, way that you jump through the paintings and then there's some levels that you don't even have to find, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, um, that are like kind of secrets, you know, the way you find like Boo's mansion, you know, right. big Boo's haunt. You have to go out in the little courtyard where all the Boo's are and you have to scare that Boo yep. and like stomp him. And then you see like this little miniature, you know, cage looking thing and then you go up to it and then you fall into big Boo's haunt. Yep. Um, you know, there's like invisible walls in the castle and you jump through and it's a whole level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's amazing. That game is just mind boggling um, in so many ways and just, you know, every level. Oh my God, the soundtrack. <laughs> One of the best video game soundtracks for sure. All time. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they're, they're all known for their soundtracks. Definitely. They all have some of the most classic video game music. Uh, God bless Koji Kondo. Um, but Super Mario 64 is absolutely one of the best video game soundtracks um, right. of all time. Yeah, they, uh, it, it revolutionized and like also gave us uh, the infamous like uh, the water level soundtrack. Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it's, it, uh, it's, I guess you could say it's a little soothing, but... Oh, definitely. It's... Like it's so recognizable, mm-hmm. I think is the best way to mm-hmm. put it. It is, um, I mean, it, like I just think of that guy. He's a he, he's the bald dude, and he does the YouTube videos of him like playing his keyboard, mm-hmm. and he does the um, the the video game sounds, and yeah. they're all like the stereotypical like yeah. you know, oh, you just died, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, and this is the water level uh, soundtrack <laughs> for every single game out there, right? And it's like so fitting, right? Um, but yeah, it just. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought that, yeah, yeah, just like you said, the soundtrack for this. It yeah, was, it's uh, just such a complete package, even from the moment that you boot the game up. Remember how in the, like when you first put the cartridge in, you see Mario's face floating around? Right. And you can like p- 
pull his face around oh, yeah. and like get it stuck certain ways and just totally like right. distort his face and stuff. Like yeah. they didn't have to do that, but it's like you know every kid who booted that game up, they just sat there and just played with Mario's face for like ten minutes or you know just having fun with that. That was fun, right? And you and, know, and talk about like the controller, mm-hmm. like. Has there been another controller that has like three handles? No, I mean no. I mean there hasn't. Like it's it's super bizarre, but like so much fun. Some people give it flag, but I love the N64's controller. I I love it too. I love it. I don't know. I I think I maybe played one game that required you to use the The, outer the D pad. Yeah, Yeah. with the D pad instead of the. Um, what do you, the joystick? Yeah, I guess. the analog stick. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, most games I played, you know, were just mm-hmm. the the inner um handle and then right. the outer one on the right. Right. Um. But yeah, uh, very bizarre controller. But I mm-hmm. I loved it. Like, yeah. Uh, this also kind of dates me a little bit. I back when video rental stores were a thing, we would go uh, since we couldn't afford to buy. Mm-hmm. The N64, we would go and like rent the N64 for a weekend. Wow. At the, it, it was like a family owned video store. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess they just to, to do things to set them apart from like Blockbuster Video right. and, and Hollywood right. Video, they would do things that they, they didn't do. And one of those things was like sell comic books and, and other kind of like mm-hmm. almost like what comic book shops have become mm-hmm. now is, you know, they of course still sell comic books, but they sell other things like Funko Pop uh, and other like right. mem- memorabilia type right. things. But they, they rented out consoles, mm-hmm. which was great for us because it, it was relatively inexpensive. Um, I, uh, although the the money that my parents spent in renting it, they probably could have just bought an N sixty four. They eventually did for sure. us. Sure. Um, but yeah, like we would, they would rent one for us on like Friday night, and we were just we would do nothing but play video games yep. like all weekend long. Yep. Um, so much fun. I mean, you know, it's just such a classic. Everything from like I said, the paintings and and just running around in the hub world, which of course at the time was fun in and of itself. You're just running around in a 3D space. I mean, that was just completely. That was so new. Yeah. So that was fun for most. You know, for every kid back then, was just booting up the game and running around. Right. And being able to jump in the water. And yeah. Climb all the that trees. freedom was. Yeah. You know, and then you get to Bowser. And, you know, which was totally different. You know, it, it was no longer, you know, like, you know, in the, the big games, you know, just getting around him and pulling the bridge out or, you know, throwing his Mecha Koopas back at him. Yeah. Um, you know, now, you know, you had to run around him and grab his tail and right. swing him into the bombs <laughs> on the outside of the stage. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome, though. I mean, I mean, there was just, you know, it, a lot of people really didn't think that it, it could have worked. A lot of people thought that Mario was just destined to always be... A side scroller because that's all anybody knew and he was so perfect in that vein mm-hmm. um and so a lot of people were really skeptical of it but oh my god if nintendo seriously didn't pull it off in spades um that i mean that's really how you write the book on taking a 2d property and and just seamlessly integrating it into a 3d world right um it just it all made sense because even though it was 3d and it was so gargantuanly different from what we knew it was still so mario it still had sure. everything that made mario yeah. mario absolutely um if anything it just broadened him that much more to hear yep. his voice to see every side of him to move the camera around him you know for him to get idle if you don't like do anything with the controller for a minute and him like lay down and take a nap right you yeah. know if you don't do anything for a while 
it, it was just the the most perfect thing. And yeah, gaming was never the same after that. I mean, for sure, that was such a turning point for for gaming. I mean, you know, there there was no going back from that. And every other uh, competitor had to follow suit. Um, right. You know, they saw Super Mario sixty four in there. Is like, and then it's just like, okay, that's, evolve or die. That's what we have to do now. There's yeah. n- you know, there's no way of fighting this. Um, and there was definitely growing pains. Um, some properties definitely went to 3D easier than others. Sure. Oof, Sonic. Um, Sonic didn't. Mm, yeah. Th- that was that was rough on the growing pains going from 2D to 3D for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Mario did it in spades. Mm-hmm. Mario wrote the book on it, and yeah, I mean it, it's it's amazing to this day. And again, like I said, still one of the greatest games of all time. But I mean, honestly. We're, we almost have to set that precedent going forward because literally almost every Mario game is considered one of the greatest games of all time. <laughs> right. Because Mario, like I said, he's always been the torchbearer. And this is, I guess we can kind of, kind of close with this. Mm-hmm. That's why we do, you know, we say the legacy of Mario because Mario has literally, he has always been that character who has always sort of carried the torch for like each next big step. For sure. In this industry, in the way that we perceive games and how games are made and approached. Mario is always one step ahead of every other property. And, you know, he that's what, you know, he's like, he's that property that Nintendo always, you know will take that next step with whatever their next big idea is mario will always be that character that makes that step right and pretty much every time he's done it it has it's literally it's ushered in a new era yeah for it, the industry and it's just, just unfathomable right but like if you think about it it that makes perfect 100 percent sense yeah because while nintendo's graphics like don't necessarily like i mean if you look at look at it objectively mm-hmm. you can say you can make an argument for uh for xbox and playstation sure. their graphics being a little bit better than nintendo's mm-hmm. but nintendo historically has always focused on the overall gameplay experience exactly. yeah and that's exactly why uh, uh or it goes to uh, what you were saying mm-hmm. about them uh, and mario being the the torchbearer mm-hmm. for whatever the next era of uh, of you know console gaming right. is uh, of, right um is it's just because they they think about the big picture like mm-hmm. that they they don't think about just like oh how can we make the graphics better which you know is is important yeah for sure um but you know they they think about everything um right. the, just the collective experience right um which at the heart of of, of video game playing mm-hmm. is is the most important. Exactly. Um, it's just a culmination of, of everything. Right. So. Exactly. And you know, it, and that's why it's it's really a no brainer when you look at like you know a video game sales chart. Mar- Super the Super Mario franchise outsells any other franchise by hundreds of millions of copies. Mm-hmm. It's not even a contest. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is insane. I want to say I think the Super Mario franchise has sold somewhere in like. 600 700 million copies altogether i mean it's just absolutely right. unfathomable yeah um crazy but it makes perfect sense though right i mean like uh, mario is it, just a, a staple and mm-hmm. it's it's been uh it, it's multi-generational mm-hmm. um it's something that everyone's familiar with uh and that's something that 
pretty much no other console has going for it. it exactly. Is, it is because, like, I mean, PlayStation and Xbox, they're still relatively new. Yeah, true. Uh, I mean, true. you know, they've been around for, you know, a couple decades now. But, you know, Nintendo, like the company itself, like you said... Yeah. Uh, was around before they were even making consoles. Exactly. You know, they were doing toys, and um, so they're just, you know, yeah. Right. Nintendo has always been brilliant about that, about establishing a flagship character right. or franchise, and then, you know, building on it over the years. They did, mm-hmm. They've done it with Mario. They've done it with Zelda. They've done it with, I mean, all of their properties, Kirby, Star Fox, Metroid, right. I mean, Pokemon, oh my God. <laughs> The list goes on. <laughs> right. I mean, Nintendo, that's what they're known for, are their mascots and their properties. For sure. And, you know, for and the, that's what they love doing, is finding something that works, and then building and expanding on it over time, and staying within that vein and stuff. You know, no, no other console comes close to doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Sony definitely has their characters. You know, you got Spyro and Crash Bandicoot. And, sure. And nowadays, you have, like, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, Laura, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. <laughs> Right, yeah. Um, I, I mean, both both consoles, both Xbox and PlayStation, they have you know great, uh, um, what, uh, what do you call it? exclusive? Exclusive. Title. Yeah, yeah, you know, Xbox, Microsoft has always somewhat struggled with that. I feel you know you have Halo, right? Which yeah. is you know, I mean, Master Chief is pretty widely known, and but then you know, I you don't know, Gears of War, but who you know. Right. Microsoft has always kind of struggled with their mascots. Um, right. Sony's Sony's done. A, they've got a pretty good legacy of characters, but Nintendo, they're they, it's a whole other thing. Right. Um. No one does mascots the way that Nintendo does. Um. But always at the forefront. <coughs> always For sure. is Mario. Yeah. Um, always. Um. So yeah. So I mean, that's. I feel like Super Mario sixty four is a great bookend because that's such Absolutely. a huge. You know, that's a monumental moment for Mario. Right. And and, it, and everything that comes after it builds on Mario sixty four. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel like that's that's a good bookend. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a great stopping point. Um, yeah, yeah. And it God, it makes me so excited for for part two. Oh, but me too. This uh, this was this was great. I, I awesome. loved how this turned out. I I wasn't exactly sure how it would turn out. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> that that kind of goes with like every single episode. Sure. Um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, but yeah, I you know with me doing like I said so much so much research and just kind of learning things that I didn't know before mm-hmm. um, going into this, I, I was I was like, well, how how is this going to turn? Like, I mean, yeah. are people going to actually want to hear us just go through all the game? But mm-hmm. like. It it flowed really well. Sure. Um, and, yeah. And so yeah, I, I thought this was this was great. Um, and once again, thank you so much for for coming over and helping me do this for Shoot, for being you. my guest again. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and we look forward to uh, you coming back and doing part two here in a couple of weeks. Like Definitely. I said, well, uh, it'll probably be one of the episodes we kick off twenty twenty with Sounds our good. roaring twenties. Sounds good. Um, Sounds so good. yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll bookend it there. We'll stop it there and. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, go like and subscribe uh, on all the social medias and all the, the, the platforms. We're on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, you know, go give us a follow on the social media. We appreciate it. Um, and as always, be kind, stay geeky, and eat lots of cheesecake. Bye.